Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. been a long time since I've been up here. I recognize some of the faces, not to Shadron, but a long time since I've been up here. And uh, just thrilled to be here. My wife Bridget and I um, have something called Whole Hearts Ministries, and it's, a, <clears throat> it's an affiliated office with Caring for the Heart. Caring for the Heart is, an, is, is a ministry that um, counsels bringing Jesus into the middle of situations, and as you hear me preach, and I'm sure you've heard many other uh, messages, you're gonna you're gonna hear that that's really the only way anything can ever get fixed is with him in the middle. In fact, him leading, and then diving into the middle. But recently, uh, Daryl's dad, John Regeer, um, founded uh, who founded Caring for the Heart Ministries. 20, some 25 years ago, um, preached and pastored for the 25 years prior to that. Um, recently, he asked that I would take over the Caring for the Heart International portion. In other words, John will continue to, to counsel because he's so gifted at it. But there was this international thing that happened that he didn't expect to happen when he started counseling, and that is people wanted to join him in this from all over the world. And um, as John has slowed down, or wanted to slow down a little bit, um, he had asked that, that, well, he and Barb had asked that Bridget and I um, kind of take that part over. So that's something that I'm doing new, and only God knows how much I need help <laughs> in that, because it's, it's so much bigger than us. But that's how we know God is doing the work. If we could do it, we'd take the credit for it, wouldn't we? It's kind of a neat segue into what I'm going to preach about today. But I want to wish all you fathers out there, happy Father's Day. If you've mentored anyone, um, you're getting the picture, even if you aren't a father yet, or aren't going to be a father, we have a father who loves us and wants to jump into the middle of whatever mess we might have whatever great thing might be going on in our lives right now. So happy Father's Day. Daryl told a few jokes, and, and they were good. Um, I didn't know he was going to do that. I prepared one thing. Everybody knows who little Johnny is, and then we, we cringe when we hear about little Johnny. But in honor of Father's Day, he wanted to honor his father with his good grades. Well, okay, with his grades. And his dad said, well, where's your report card, Johnny? And he says, well, I don't have it. And he says, well, why not? And he says, well, I gave it to my friend. He wanted to scare his parents. <laughs> I like that. That could have been me as a kid. Message this morning that I'm going to speak about. I titled it Getting Off Track and God's Way of Getting Us Back. Now, I understand Justin usually only speaks for an hour, and I had two hours prepared, but I'll, I'll trim it down a little bit. 
so we can get the lunch. But I want you to hear this. Um, this is God's message, I pray, not Jeff's message. Um, it was inspired through his holy word and, uh, and a book that I, my wife and I read or listened to, an audio book by Tony Evans, if you've heard of him. And it's, it's called Kingdom Men. And uh, I just thought I'd... It's called Kingdom Men Rising, I'm sorry. Very good book if you haven't read it. But I plan to take you through Judges chapters 6 and 7. That'll be the emphasis. So if you, if you have a Bible or, or a, a phone that you want to look into Judges chapters 6 and 7, that's where the main uh, message is going to come from. Quite a little reference to, to Numbers 31 verses 1 through 18 too. So I better get going because that's a, that's, a, that's a big passage. It illustrates a time when God's people had walked away from him, how they'd gotten off track from his plan, and the ensuing crises that they endured because of that. But the account doesn't end in a crisis. It ends with God's redemption of his people, which is where he'll always end with us if we turn to him. Sometimes that's a getting on our knees and asking him to come back. Now, the Israelites are quite an example throughout God's word. They fall away, they come back. They fall away, they come back. I'm going to give you this example and show you that we're in the very same place as they have been. And it's easy to accuse the Israelites of being kind of hard-headed, thick-skulled. But here we are, falling away as a world. Not necessarily right here, but as a world. Have any of you heard the account of the high school student in Danbury, Connecticut that fell asleep in class only to be awoken by his teacher slapping her hand on the desk? His parents decided that they were going to school the or school. They were going to sue the school district. They were going to sue the Board of Education. They were going to sue the city of Danbury, Connecticut, for severe hearing loss in his left ear. Now, it got dropped right away. But what about the guy that sued Michael Jordan and Nike for $832 million because he looked like Michael Jordan and that was an inconvenience? We don't have to look hardly anywhere to see how far off track our world is getting and has gotten. Religious walking away from God's word. Just entire religions walking away from his word and going their own way to make it fit. Countries looking to eliminate entire races. People idolizing, you name it, all kinds of things. Woke theory. People not wanting to work as we've been designed to work. All these things lead to people being confused. Confused about their life and their place in it. Confused about their value. About their identity. Ultimately, they're confused about God. Is he fair? Is he just? Is he even here? We hear it. And sometimes think it. Well, let's pray before I get into Scripture. Heavenly Father, we are blessed 
to have your divine word to learn from. It's always here. Your Holy Spirit is alive and well, breathing through these words to us. The advocate that you left for us to learn from. Thank you. Lord, as, as I speak this morning, I just ask that you, your Holy Spirit works in each person, regardless of the words that come off of my lips, um, what you want them to hear. And that they take that word and that they move into their home, their community, and into the world with this information to share the way you want them to share it. Thanks for opportunities. Thanks for choosing us. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Now in Judges chapter 6 and 7, they're known well for the, sto- the account of Gideon. Some of, most of us have heard of Gideon. Let's get some background. The Midianites, whom Gideon is now hiding from when we find him in the, in the account, they had suffered a slaughter at the hands of Moses. The last battle that Moses fought in his quest to the promised land. He annihilated Midian. In the book of Numbers, chapter 25, I'll just read it here for you. The Lord said to Moses, treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. They treated you as enemies when they deceived you in in the Peor incident involving their sister Cosby, the daughter of a Midianite leader, the woman who was killed when the plague came as a result of that incident. See, Moses annihilated him because he had been duped and it had cost him 24,000 of his people. So he went after him, hostily. He charged his men in to eliminate Midian. Upwards, claiming upwards of 100,000 lives, many of whom were women and children. Generations were gone in one blink of an eye. The result was a devastated people who had been pillaged and they lived in their, their own ruins. The Israelites took over 500,000 sheep. Now we read these numbers and oh, we read right through the sentence, but 500,000 sheep, 72,000 head of cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 of the virgin women who had been spared from death. That's in Numbers chapter 31, verses 31 through 35. In this battle, everyone else was dead. No one left. Now fast forward to the account of Gideon in the book of Judges in chapter 6 and 7. Over 250 years had passed by this time now since that Midian slaughter. But the Midians hadn't forgotten. They had just refortified and gotten stronger and were angry. We read in Judges chapter 6 that Israel had done such great evil in the eyes of the Lord at this point, 250 some years later, that God needed to bring them down to who they were to be. And who to use? The Midians. <laughs> they couldn't wait to retaliate. All God had to say was the word, and they were there. And for seven years, they rained terror down on Israel. They crushed everything in their path. 
If you'd read with me uh, in Judges 6, beginning with verse 3. It says, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their, with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, so many of them. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Hmm. They cried out to the Lord for help. Hunger, fear, sickness, starvation, those kinds of things will get you to your knees. And they did. Difficult, difficulties do that. But hardship has a way of keeping people down. Only able to look up for help. Despite the perils that confused them, God had a purpose for their pain. And He has a purpose for every one of ours. Something to think about as we're going through something. Not why, which we're going to get into, but what do you want me to learn here? How can you use this with how can you use me with this, God? That's a hard thing to do when you're down, when you're hurting. But the stubbornness of their path led them on an indulgent cycle of defeat of themselves. These were God's people, but he had a better better plan for them. Just verses earlier than what we just read. were the circumstances and the cause and the effect. In chapter 5, verse 31, it <clears throat> says, then, then the land had peace for 40 years. So just three verses earlier, then the land had peace for 40 years. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the Lord... Uh, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them the hands of the Midianites, because the power of, the, of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. That's Judges 5, 31 through 6, 2. Do you suppose we're also now chosen people? From the time Jesus came to serve us, we have been his chosen people. But here we are, just as Israel was. After many years of prosperity and peace, they and we have chosen to turn from God rather than toward Him. Now, did you hear me say earlier that it was a little over 250 years between the time that Israel defeated the Midianites and the time that he came to Gideon and they fell so far. Let's do the math in America. <laughs> I, was do, I was studying this and I'm like, wow. 1776 from 2023 is 247 years. We've fallen quite a ways away from where we started. Even just as a country. 
Now, I'm not saying that God is going to bring us to our knees and then to bring, it, bring us back to him. I kind of hope he does. I would love that because that means that we get to stay America. Not something, but God-fearing and God-created. I just want people to see that we're not that far different from what I just gave an account of. Israel had drifted into this entitled, narcissistic, pleasure-seeking mindset, not wanting to serve God from a heart of gratitude. They wanted more. And as I just read, the last 40 years of peace made a prideful, self-centered people. It sounds very familiar to me. And I've only been, in the last 57 years, of this, this history. But it just sounds familiar. I wasn't born in the 50s either. <laughs> that was part of our Bible study this morning, or our Sunday school this morning. So God gave them over to the Midianites in order to remind them of who they were. God allowed consequences to play out because he wanted them to turn from their sins. You see, one of the reasons God either allows or causes a crisis is to force our return to him. When we get out of alignment with him, he'll permit difficulties to happen. We know that. Just to get us back on track. He cares enough about us to do that. It hurts, though. Now, we can return voluntarily, but sadly, not a lot of people do. At times, these circumstances are minor that I'm talking about. But at times, these circumstances are really, really major. And we can all come back to both kinds. Frightened and starving, living in caves in the mountains, the Israelites had gotten a wake-up call. This, this was their, their consequence in their coming back to God. They did what anyone would do when they're having a terrible dream. They cried out. The other night, just not very many nights ago, if I look tired, it's, you'll, you'll understand why. We had our granddaughter, she's five, and she woke up in the middle of the night crying. And Grandma Bridget held her in her arms, said, you'll be okay. You're safe here, we love you. And she went right back to sleep. I didn't, but she did. Israel's cry wasn't due to a dream, though. They cried out for their very lives. Yet unlike Grandma Bridget to our granddaughter Tommy, God's words weren't soothing to them. He responded with a real scolding of them. He didn't say, it's okay, my chosen ones. Just hold tight, I'll hold you, you're going to be okay. No, that's not what he said. Instead, we read what he said through the prophet, what seemed to be angry words to scold them. And the prophet said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, verse 8, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. 
I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Judges chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Before he gave them a solution, he reminded them of what they, why they were there in the first place. And I think often we miss this part because we want that solution right away. How do we get out of this? Now in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But nowhere in that verse or in those verses does it say he won't remind us of the sin that got us there in the first place. He doesn't want this lesson lost in his divine deliverance from whatever it is. He wants us to remember these things. Not live in them, but remember these things so that we don't do them anymore. In summary, he says to the Israelites, I brought you up out of Egypt. I took you away from oppression. I did all these things and you did not obey me despite all he'd done for them, they'd chosen to worship idols. We catch ourselves doing the same things. Cars, people, positions, jobs, money. And Bridget started adding as I was talking to her. She just kept adding them. I'm like, okay, I have to stop. We, we do this a lot. We do. It's our pride. Generation of prosperity and peace had led to a lifestyle of luxury and greed. This is where we can be different. Instead of that lifestyle of luxury and greed, we can give, to the, give back to the great giver, which is not what they were doing. They were giving to the given what he had given them. We're given to cars and we're given to whatever it might be. We can give back to him and keep our focus where it belongs. Now, following their cry out to him, he, he moved to a solution. And this account always makes me smile, the account of Gideon. It always makes me smile. I think it's easy to feel like Gideon when he gives us something that's way too big. There's this guy, Gideon, threshing wheat below ground level in a wine press, and we know why, because we just read that anything the, the uh, Midianites found, they were going to take. So he wanted to keep his food. That's pretty much it. It says in verse 12, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I can only guess what Gideon thought, but one of the things that came through my mind is, I think I heard somebody talking to me. And they called me a mighty warrior. That's weird. There he was, beating wheat on the threshing floor of a wine press. And he looked right past the, the fact that an angel was talking to him and they'd been called something I'm sure he didn't believe he was, which is a mighty warrior. He looked right past all that and he went right to, in verse 13, Why? Why now? Why us? Why? 
If the Lord is with us, why has all of this just happened? He just said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Where are all of his miracles? Why has he abandoned us? Don't we often do the same when things go wrong? Go to the why? God, where are you? Why have you allowed all of these hard things in our life? Why am I going through all of this right now? Why didn't you stop that or change this or solve that? Where are the miracles that I've read about? Did you, here's an Israelite one, but I think sometimes we think it. Did you bring me here just to let me die? I know I've asked why before. Many do. And then there's times where I've been asked, why is God allowing this to happen to us? And the only thing I can come up with is, I don't know. But God does. And we have to keep trusting Him. Life can do that sometimes. Not make any sense at all. Maybe you've been there. I know that many years ago as our marriage struggled which was the impetus that God used behind us now counseling other people. I was there, and it ain't a fun place to be. I'm pretty sure that's where Gideon was too. He didn't care about being a mighty warrior. He cared about having food to sustain him till tomorrow. He cared about living till tomorrow. But life can get so tough so fast that even hope can be hard to hope for. And the first chance Gideon had to ask a question, it was why. But God knows what we need most, and he didn't answer the why. He had kind of already answered it ahead of time. He just went to what? He often doesn't answer ours either. Maybe it's because, like I said, he'd already answered it. But whatever the reason, we can learn some of the things, some things from God's response. One of them, while there are times that warrant the asking, and we always have the right to ask, don't ever demand an answer. Understand that he knows that answer. Another thing is, it isn't wise to, become, to, to let the why become our way of life because we get into this victim mindset, potentially, that will hold us down and back. Many people give up a great future because we remain tied to the past. We can't get our eyes from, uh, out from behind us. And while the things of the past were likely really, really rough, I know some of ours have been. Some have been really good, but some of them were really rough. We can't change the past. We need to stop allowing our past to dominate our present and ruin our future. This can only be done through the healing power of Jesus Christ. In our ministry, that's what we believe. In our lives, that's what we believe. Jesus is the only healing power we have. He helps us let go, get up, move on. Replacing the lies we've believed with his truth about what he sees in us. Just ask him, he'll tell you. 
This isn't easy anyway at all. But Bridget and I have been witnesses through our own marriage and through some of the people and couples that we've had opportunities to work with and watch him do his thing. That's why we keep doing it. We know there's a call there. Each of us have a different call. Watch him do his thing when you get called. It's pretty cool. Now we see in verse 14 that the angel skipped Gideon's question too, and he just said, go and do it. And Gideon responded as I think you, I, and many others do. Who am I? I'm the youngest child of an unimportant family. Pretty much, you got the wrong guy. Go find somebody else. Excuse me. Angel reassured him in verse 16, though. He said, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. That's a big statement. We all need the reminder that with God, our own weakness isn't relevant. All that matters is who goes with us. The only way you'll accomplish an impossible task is if you take God with him. And my advice is go ahead and allow him to lead that. Don't just take him with you. <laughs> Let him lead it. He wants credit, so he gives you the impossible. Otherwise, you'll take credit. Okay, maybe I would. Maybe you guys wouldn't. I would take credit. I know me. I just, that pat on the back feels really, really good. This quote from Tony Evans in that book that I referred to earlier is my favorite. It says, spiritual success and spiritual war depends entirely on spiritual solutions. Spiritual solutions take place if and when God goes before or with you. It's the only time spiritual solutions take place. He can do it without you but he wants to do it with you. That determines your outcome. Spiritual success and spiritual war depend entirely on spiritual solutions. Here's some biblical examples of that. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That's Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. Another one, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. As soon as you hear the sound of marching on the tops of the trees, poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone in front of you to strike the Philistine army. 2 Samuel verse 5, or chapter 5 verse 24. Remember that it's okay to ask for confirmation. The only way you'll know that you can take care of whatever God's calling on you to do is with Him. So just verify it. Just don't get stuck in verification mode. We saw Gideon ask twice. He did. He asked for a sign and God obliged. He offered meat and unleavened bread, and a rock consumed it. That's probably good enough for me. Yeah, you're probably, you really are asking me to do this. Okay. 
But he was so afraid of what he had just seen that he thought he would die because he saw God. And God said, peace, you will not die. So Gideon believed and built an altar right there, and he named it, the Lord is peace. So during the slaughter of, of the Israelites by Midian, he built an altar and calls it, God is peace. In the middle of that. It's a great reminder that even in our toughest times, there's peace because there's God. Now, Satan's the master of confusion, he's the master of chaos, and he's the master of all kinds of bad things. But when God's present, there's peace. Now, this gets interesting to me. God told him the victory over the Midianites began with one man. And it began in his own home. Remove the idols from your own home first, he said. So in verses 25 through 27 in Judges chapter 6, it said, The same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So God took ten of his servant or Gideon, I'm sorry, took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than at the day, in the daytime. <clears throat> Idolatry was going so deep at that point that God had to address the idolatry first. Even Gideon's dad had idols of Baal and Asheroth in his place. Thus, before he could fight enemy, any enemy outside, he had to fix what was going on inside. And we, we've heard Jesus talk about that to the Pharisees. We should never expect God to fix things outside if we aren't willing to go within and fix them for, let him fix them first. He raised Gideon up for a mighty cause. But prior to taking him to this cause, he asked him to be obedient with what he had around him. And there's a verse in chapter 13 of, of uh, Matthew, verse 12, says, Whoever has been given will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Faith in what you have and who you are is the first step in allowing God to use you further. And I want you to notice that, that Gideon took ten men with him to walk into his father's house to remove Baal and Asherah, things like that. That means there were probably a lot of idols if it took ten of them. Either that or he was really afraid and he wanted ten guys to defend him. But I'm thinking it took a lot of people to get all that stuff out of there. Notice also that he did it at night. And it's because he knew there was going to be resistance. Obedience isn't a calm and easy thing. It wasn't then and it won't be now. It's emotional. It's difficult. We can be scared by that. I'm sure Gideon was, which is probably why he did it at night. But he took courage and he did it. Courage isn't the absence of fear. I think a lot of times we just go do something 
We're not afraid of it. We say we're not afraid. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of fear that's present. Courage occurs when we take on a task that is impossible. In other words, courage is something that the Lord needs to lead us in. He did it with Joshua. He did it with Moses. He's done it with many, many people. Take courage. Read with me in verse 30. The the people of the town demanded of Joash, Bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. They called for him to be killed. Idolatry was so pervasive right at that time that God's chosen people, Israel, wanted to kill somebody, one of theirs, for removing not God's chosen things, idols. They wanted to kill the Israelite who did it in the holy God's name. That's how off track the thinking had gotten. It's so easy to get there, though. Gideon's dad responded by saying, hey, if Baal's who he says he is, just let him defend himself. He'll be all right. Now, you notice God gave Gideon a new name at that time, Jeroboam, and he gives people new names at different times. Each of us were reborn if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jeroboam, in verse 32, says, let God contend. Let Baal contend with him. Only Baal would be contending, wouldn't be contending with Gideon, would he? He'd be contending with God. Just a hint from me as we counsel. Always bring God along when you're battling an enemy. We're not strong enough to do that on our own. We need him to do that. So Gideon became known as kind of a Baal fighter, a tough guy with Baal, in your face to Baal kind of a thing. By, by him being courageous, courageous, he'd gained a little notoriety overnight. The word was out that the youngest child of an unimportant family who'd threatened to be killed was now the Baal fighter. All he needed to do next was blow a trumpet and men from all around would come to support him in battle. Verse 34 says, Seems absurd. Blow a trumpet and all these people are going to show up to help me. I'd try it, but I don't have a trumpet. (laughs) But his ways are absurd to our ways. They seem so far out there. And it's discouraging when you know you were made for something more, yet you're still threshing wheat on the floor of a wine press. But it's only a season, and take faith in that. Because when God does decide to move, He moves quickly. He can move so swiftly. In Gideon's case, literally overnight. I've seen Him do it in our marriage, as we struggled for months and months. And within a period of hours, I watched our marriage turn around. I couldn't believe it. And I've seen it in other marriages and in other lives as it appears as a a light comes on and there's a whole new hope right there. 
Jesus said, take, take heart, I have overcome the world in John 16, 33. Do we believe that? So Gideon now asks God for one more confirmation. Actually asks him for, with two fleeces, but he asked him for one more confirmation. See verses 39 and 40. It's exactly what you and I are to do, though. We are to pray. It says he prayed, asked God for confirmation. Never take for granted what we think God's doing next or what we think should be next. God could be working that way, but often his ways are so different than ours. So we're in chapter 7 now. I've buzzed through chapter 6. In chapter 7, God made it known that he was in charge of the spiritual battle. He allowed Gideon how many men? 300 300 men. Gideon felt pretty good when he went to sleep that night with 20, 30, 32,000 fighting soldiers. He thought, okay, large army for a large enemy, we're good. That's how I'd think. I've got military training. I know exactly how I'd think. But God said, nope, those people will take uh, credit for everything if we leave them there. Send some home. He sent 22,000 of them home. That left 10,000 if my math's right. And those 10,000 could still take credit because 10,000 is still a lot of people. He says, nope, take those people that lapped the water with their mouth. They kept their eyes up. They were alert. You get 300. See you later. That's not what he said. He didn't say, see you later. Well, you're on your own now. Fools Gideon slept well that night, though. I probably wouldn't have. 300 soldiers to go up against a fierce army as numerous as locusts. Verse 12 said, Knowing Gideon feared, God said, he encouraged him. He said in chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, he says, Go down to the Midian camp and listen to them. Now this is a lot of people. So go down to the Midian camp. You could have walked into any part of that camp or around that part. Where did he walk? When he got there, here's one soldier telling another, I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck a tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. <laughs> the other soldier told him, That could be nothing more than, Midian, than the Midianites, than Gideon, or than Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God's given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. That's what verses 13 and 14 in chapter 7 say. When Gideon heard this, he knew that God had directed him to go down to exactly that place and hear exactly what he heard. And he worshiped God, it says. How often do we do that? Now understand, back in that time, a barley loaf was what the poor of the poor of the poor ate. So there's this unconsequential man from this unconsequential family, and he's going to roll into this Midianite camp, and he's going to take him out. Pretty much what it was saying. God will often confirm and build on what he's told you to do. He's cumulative. <laughs> he likes to encourage Sometimes he encourages with tough stuff, but he likes to encourage. 
So look in your life. Look back. I was just talking about spiritual road markers to somebody. But the things that he did to prepare my wife and I to be counselors, army, banker, teacher, mom, dad. I don't equate that to Christian counseling. But I look back and I see all the different tools that we were given and they match right up with what we're doing. Thankful for that. Just a little aside. The 300, trumpet, or the 300 uh, soldiers, they blew their trumpets and they routed the enemy. That's just, that's it. Blow your trumpet, enemy's gone. Suppose anyone outside of God himself could take credit for that. That's verse 22. God freed them from the oppression they suffered because Gideon was willing to be obedient to him and his call even when it didn't make sense. We have to be willing to do what God says even if it doesn't make sense. If we're, if we're to be freed from the chains that bind us. When God's ready to move, do you think it matters what it is, how big it is, how long it's going to take, how strong the opposition is? When he, when he makes his decision to move, does it matter how broken your world is to him? It matters because he cares for you, but it doesn't matter in the, matter in the fact that he's going to take care of it. How many pieces your heart's been broken into? Not if you believe what we just studied. Nothing and no one can override the power of our Lord and Savior. We're living in a Midian world. It's a, the world's oppressing the church. We know that. And the truth of Scripture. It's saying things like, let's make these words fit our need, our culture. We're outnumbered. We're outgunned. I know if it's me, I'm outsmarted. but we can rely on the one who knows all, who's already won. I, we've read the end of the book. We know. We, he wins. Now, we can pretend that this doesn't exist, but that's not true. As Gideon has shown, we can take ground back with just 300. He doesn't need us. He chooses us. To me, this is both a personal call and a call to our, his church to step out, repent of our sins, clean up our own house, trust God, and then do what he tells us to. Make no mistake about it, it starts with each person in their home, and it'll move out to the community, to states to our country, and to the world. He'll work that way if we allow it. So let's start like Gideon. From the inside out. Let's pray. Father, you, you've shown us a mighty warrior today in your scripture. But the fact is, each one of us is a mighty warrior with your strength. You give us things and ways that we'll never understand this side of heaven. Thank you for that. Thank you for your hope. I pray, Lord, that not one soul in this, in this 
small church body, this, this local church body that you've allowed to come together to know you better, I pray that not one of them loses faith, loses hope. Because where you are, there is always hope. Thank you for your promise to never leave nor forsake us, to always be by our side, in front of us, behind us, above us and below us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Lord, thanks for this worship team and for what they do to bring people into us a heart of worship. Thanks for their dedication to you and for their their, uh, willingness to come at your call. Lord, I just pray that you bless each person today as they go and do what they're going to do. I pray it's in your name. Amen.